Well, actually, I'm going to ask you to do something here um, a little different, because what's me preaching without being a little different, okay? Um, And everybody got uncomfortable. Okay, if you want to stand back up, okay, try that again. Stand back up. Good. And what we say here is that you are not here to worship Christ on your own this morning. You're not here to to learn about God just by sitting at your own desk, maybe at your office or at home and reading the scriptures. You are here as part of the body of Christ. And so I know this is going to be uncomfortable for you, okay? But we're going to pray together as we start, and I want you to just grab a hand of someone next to you, and all the germaphobes got really crazy. (laughs) But the good news is, To date, America still does have soap and water. So if you need to go wash your hands afterward, that's all right, okay? We're in this together, so let's pray together. God, we together come to your word this morning. We want to know you. Lord, for those of us that are walking through the darkness of life right now, Might we be reminded that you've made the body of Christ not to exist, one, but that we would exist as one together, God, all of us together. We're here this morning, Lord, to know you, to see you. Speak to us, I pray in your name, amen. All right, you can have a seat. Wipe your hands off. It wasn't you, it was them. All right, we're back in Romans 10 this morning, um, and the book of Romans, if you want to grab a Bible, you can read God's Word together uh, with me. Um, If you are looking for where that is in the Bible and you grab one of the ones in front of you, it's page 918 in the Pew Bible, or it's not, because I found this out, um, and I actually work here as a pastor, but sometimes you just forget that these things are real, like when we had to get... Uh, some extra new Bibles because some of you stole the ones from the pew. No, if you need one, take it. Um, But if we ordered a new version, the page numbers are all different. Um, So there's actually two different page numbers this morning. And so if 918 helps you, great. And if it doesn't, you got a different copy. Um, We've been in Romans for uh, a number of weeks now, but uh, looking at chapters 1 through 8, here's kind of the the tagline of what that was about, how we are made acceptable to God and how we can live this new way because of his acceptance. And then if you jump on to the end, chapters 12 through 16 really continue that line of thinking and talk about how we ought to live that new way and what it kind of looks like, it outlines that. And so 9 to 11, those chapters that kind of fall in between those two complete thoughts, are kind of the dramatic pause um, to, to walk through the what about questions. And two weeks ago, Pastor Mark uh, looked at Romans chapter 9. How many remember that sermon, right? God's sovereignty, everybody's favorite text in the whole world. Um, we wrestled with a few different questions, um, but really in 33 verses, it takes some of the most complex and difficult phrases in all the scripture and distills it down into one chapter. Um, so if you want some deep truth to walk through, go back and read chapter 9. But here are the questions we uh, wrestled with uh, two weeks ago. Is God fair if he elects some people to believe and not others? Why does God blame us for not believing? 
Shouldn't God be understandable to us? Doesn't God's election take away any incentive for us to pray or witness to other people? They're tough questions. Maybe you've wrestled with them before, but uh, Pastor Mark did a great job of kind of teasing out some of the, the ideas behind those questions. And so I encourage you to go back and listen or watch that sermon if uh, you missed it. But this week in chapter 10 is some good, sweet gospel truth that compels us to gospel mission. Um, in these three chapters, chapters 9 through 11, Paul's really addressing the nation of Israel, God's chosen nation. They are the people that he's carried through so much. He has provided for them, protected them, delivered them. Um, if you will, they sit at the cool table at lunch. They were just the in crowd, right? And God's chosen nation was needing a bit of confrontation uh, because what was happening among the Jews, uh, the Israelite nation, um, was different than what was happening in the Gentiles, which basically means everybody that's not a Jew. Um, those were the different two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul's addressing the error of the Israelite way of thinking in chapter 10. So let's read that together. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there might be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes about this righteousness that is by the law. and says, the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach to them unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So I gave you the three points this morning, which again, I feel like I often do this. I probably should leave a word out and make a blank so that you pay attention. But um, you have them. And the first one here is the wrong way, verses one through five. Let's go back to verse one. Paul says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites, his chosen people, is that they may be saved. And if you were part of that chosen nation, you're probably a little offended that Paul's writing this. What do you mean that we would be saved? And you're pleading with God for this. We're the chosen nation. We're the in crowd. How can you say that, Paul? And he says, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. 
They were zealous, but had no knowledge. The Greek word zelos is where we get zealous from, and it comes from the root word zeo, meaning to boil, passionately, fervently, building in warmth, bubbling up, also used to describe the way that anger kind of hatches inside of us. So what's he saying here by using the word zealous? They're zealous. They're headed passionately in a direction, but it's the wrong direction, in their own direction. As verse 3 says, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. You see, Jewish culture was characterized by strict obedience to the law. And if you broke that law, there were strict things that you had to do. And so um, let's just tease this out because maybe you don't know the Jewish religion and culture and their practices, but uh, I would encourage you, go and learn about other religions in our world. Maybe know uh, what they believe and what they think, and and in turn, maybe knowing how we can really present the gospel to them in a way that they would understand. But if you were a Jew and you were following the law on the Sabbath, you knew there was a certain distance that you could walk and no farther on the Sabbath. You knew that there was uh, a law on how much weight that you could lift on the Sabbath, not more than two dried figs. Were they big figs or small figs? What, were the, what kind of figs are we talking about here, right? No food was to be cooked, and so you would prepare ahead of time. And if there was someone sick, you could only do what was required to keep them from not getting worse and more sick, but you couldn't make them better. What in the world does that mean, right? You're very confused. If a fire had to be poked, they would employ a non-Jew to do the work on the Sabbath. Now, it's something that we could kind of laugh at or feel like this is crazy and uh, poke fun at, but not what Paul said. He said, this is not a half-hearted religion. They are zealous. They're going after God in their own idea of what that looks like. And Paul actually praises their zeal. But their attempt to use the law to attain righteousness is something that Paul says it's zeal in the wrong direction. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. I'm going to read that again. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin we become conscious of our missing the mark, our inability to keep the law. Sincerity and devotion will never save our souls. My daughter plays on uh, MLU soccer team, and she's in the seven- to eight-year-old crowd, and uh, there's this camaraderie of the parents among the sideline, and there's no greater joy than a sport that I got to play as a kid. My wife and I both did, and now we get to watch, and it's really fun, and you know what to say on the sideline. It doesn't really help, but you say it anyway as a parent. And so we're there, and um, we've been kind of known as like a slow-starting team, right? We start off the first half a little, little rough, and then we have a good halftime speech, and we come back better in the second half. Well, uh, Coach Sam is, is great. She's a player herself, and uh, so she's in it. She's invested, and those halftime speeches with seven- to eight-year-old girls, they are, like, dialed in. Um, and he, she pitches them all the things they need to change and do. They take the, the other side of the field as they come back out, and they're ready to enlist their newfound zeal. Sometimes it's immediate. We're dribbling and they're passing and they're excited, full of zeal. 
And then the cringeworthy moment that only soccer parents can understand of kids. There's zeal and there's the shot and it's in the wrong direction. And it goes in and it goes in. And so what do you do? That's a great shot, but you scored on yourself. And then you watch a seven or eight year old girl kind of like, we don't get that point. You know, like it just doesn't really click. Like how, why, what's going on here? There's nothing worse in childhood sports than scoring on the wrong net or defending the wrong player or kicking the ball the wrong direction. Zeal in the wrong direction. Paul says, Israel, God's chosen nation, listen up. Gaining righteousness by means of the law is impossible. And and Paul's grieved by this. Nobody has ever been found righteous by the standard of the law except for Jesus I believe this is the reality of many people in our world today, right? We think that God is this God that needs to be uh, lived up to, and so we, we try to make it to God. And sadly, I believe this is also the false gospel that many people in the church today, and many probably in our church, would subscribe to today. It's legalism, right? We have to get it right. We have to earn this salvation. And if we don't, well, then what? Well, let's continue on because the then what is the Christ way, uh, verses 6 through 13. In verse 6 it says, But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up, from the dead, but what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. Paul's actually quoting here from Deuteronomy, part of the Jewish heritage. And if you were a good Jewish student following after a rabbi, uh, in order to, to get to be able to follow, you memorized. And so um, Genesis all the way through Deuteronomy, the first five books, the Pentateuch, they memorized that. Now, if you go into your Bible and you kind of section off Genesis through Deuteronomy, um, it's a good deal of words, and they did. They memorized that. That was part of uh, their, their training. And God gave this law to his people and also gave kind of some general precursors as he began. He said, the whole idea, if you were to boil it down, is to obey me, to honor me, to follow me. In the Jewish tradition, strict obedience to the law was what was required, perfection, getting it right. And so it became more about obeying the law, honoring the law, following the law. And they lost sight of the God who gave them the law. The law was meant to be only a signpost pointing them in the right direction, but it could never take them in that direction. It was only meant to point in a direction, but it could never take them to their destination. I got to pause. It's a really cool sign up there, but I have no idea what language that is. I think it's like a Welsh dialect or something I was reading. I just thought it was a cool sign. So if you're confused, I, I am as well. Um, and so at this point, as Paul is writing to the people, he's getting kind of preachy because He's saying, this is what you've been waiting for, right? You've, you've had this, you've known it, the sacrifice, once for all, forever, Christ, 
came and you missed him. And so the truth about Christ is not so lofty and far off to you, Israelites, that you need to ascend to heaven to get this knowledge or descend to hell to figure things out. It's near you. It's in your mouth. You've memorized this. It's in your heart. You know this. Faith is the way. And yet, they missed it. I want to take a second here to kind of just uh, chart this whole idea of law versus uh, righteousness achieved by faith in Christ. Um, The two differences here, because they are vastly different. Uh, The law, they believe, was only for Jewish people. So you had to be in to be part of this. It was based on the work that you did. It was all about self-righteousness, living rightly as a person. It cannot save you. It was about obedience to the law of the Lord. And it led to really to pride, to personal pride in what you achieved, what you could uh, perform. And on the flip side, faith says this is for whoever, anyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That it's based on faith through the grace shown to us through Christ. It's about his righteousness, not first my righteousness. It brings salvation. And and the very point of faith is that we would call and have faith in Christ's righteousness, and we we call on the name of the Lord, so that ultimately he receives the glory, not myself. There's a big difference, but the sad reality is a lot of us live in the law category. It looks like, well, who would do that? But when you boil things down, oftentimes we do think that we are pretty good and we're we're self-righteous with the things that we can perform according to uh, the law. We do think, uh, we take pride in that, and, and we do think about the work that we do and making sure that if we do enough good, then it will cancel the bad or, or at least balance the scales a little bit. But what he's saying is the law was only meant to point out our inability, have faith in Christ, the fulfillment of the law. Okay, so how then are we to put faith in God's designed way? Well, if you've checked out, check back in because the crown jewel of Romans chapter 10 is Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you want to distill the gospel down, here it is. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, made right, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all who richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Remember, faith is a gift from God. So this whole idea of righteousness by faith is merely our surrender and saying, I'm calling on you, Lord. I'm not looking to me. And let's be clear what it's not saying here. It doesn't say that if you know God, you will be saved. It doesn't say that if you've got knowledge about God, you'll be saved. It says that if you believe in God. And and Charles Spurgeon kind of teases this out. I wanted to just read this quote because I think it's a beautiful way of thinking about the whole idea of believing in God. The faith that saves is not believing certain truths, 
nor even believing that Jesus is a Savior, but it's resting on him, depending on him, lying with all your weight on Christ as the foundation of your hope. Believe that he can save you. Believe that he will save you. At any rate, leave the whole matter of your salvation with him in unquestioning confidence. Depend upon him without fear as to your present and eternal salvation. This is the faith which saves the soul. We believe from within our heart, which leads to this confession of our faith. But oftentimes we switch the order, right? We, we think that confession and talking about what we think is really important, and maybe sometimes we even kind of just make it secondary. Well, yeah, I believe in my heart, but I'm talking about who God is, and we say, um, Jesus is Lord, I confess it, I'm saved. You know the kind of thing. You're just, you're just saying things and talking about prayer and how good it is, and oh, the Lord is so good to me. I post verses all the time, and I even have, you see this tattoo? Like, it's, this is all about God. Okay, a little too far. But let me tell you something. Christians are not about incantations, which is kind of like a, a cute thing that you say, like a magical spell that you can say these words and achieve something. This is not the way of Christ. There is no magical spell or phrase or saying that saves you, which may rock your four-year-old self right now because some of you believed in the words that you said as a four-year-old and maybe your heart has never joined because belief happens in the heart, which leads to our confession, but it is not first words that we say, it's belief in our heart. Quick survey here, okay? This is going to require you to raise your hand, okay? How many of you know things that you should or should not be doing, but that doesn't really stop you or, or make you do them or not do them? You have knowledge about it, but you're kind of like, yeah, but I haven't really done anything about it. Like, I know I should eat healthy. Am I doing it? Probably not. Uh, I know that I probably should read my Bible. Uh, I know that I should not speed. Okay, you're, not, you're a liar if your hand is down. Okay, come on. No one is, oh, thank you. Okay, I'm not alone. Quick bit of conviction to wake you up, but it's not simply knowing about God, knowing about who Jesus is. It's not simply even talking about God to people and telling others about who God is. Man, how many times have we seen in the news people that, uh, have, have said a lot of really great things and their hearts have not followed. It's not simply testifying to a relationship that you have with God. It's do you believe? So I started, as I was reading this, I was kind of feeling like, why is God being so picky? Like, why does it really matter about this whole belief thing? We can talk about God. We can further the whole idea of who God is to people. That's a really great thing. Why would he not want that? Well, I think if we ask that question, we begin to understand the heart of God just a bit more. And part of it, I think, is wrapped in the fact that um, we could see this as detailed and nitpicky, or we could see this differently because the day is coming when the news will come to you, right? You're fired. You have cancer. 
It's completely torn. You'll never play again. There's been an accident. I want a divorce. He's relapsed again. There's nothing left we can do. I don't love you anymore. She's not going to make it. You failed. You don't matter. You didn't get picked. And if you only know about God, maybe you only speak words about God, you've got shallow roots. Because the faith that God requires is to believe and lean completely on him that he might be enough for you. This news which is crushing either way becomes then terminal for those that just talk about God with shallow roots. This is it. This is the end. I'm ruined. I, can't, I have nothing left. But if you believe, there is an anchor for your soul. Faith in the God who says, I will be with you. I didn't say you'll be happy. I didn't say you'd be wealthy in the midst of this trial. I didn't say everything's going to be okay in the way that you think of okay right now but I will be with you. Because belief in is the way of the Father. It's his heart, and he wants to share it with us. Christianity is not the religion that you just circle on a survey. Yeah, I'm a Christian. That, that is not Christianity. It's an anchor for your soul. Christianity, then, is not just about happy phrases to help us in our time of need. It is a firm foundation that we rest on the rock of our salvation in Christ. Do you believe? Paul's saying the law is the wrong way to go. You, it won't deliver. Number two, belief in the Christ way is where we ought to put our faith, which the third point compels us to a particular gospel mission. Let's look at verse uh, 14 as Paul's writing here. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And he's saying, be motivated to action, right? And this is kind of one of those passages where I can kind of go sit in a chair and you guys can think about this one for a little bit because I've processed it. There's not a lot I need to talk about here. How can people hear? I mean, you could say, maybe this is for certain people or this is like metaphorical, but no. How can people hear if no one's telling them? How can people hear if they've not been sent? This is actually Paul's journey. He's probably talking out here based on Acts 13. If you go back, he's looking at it and he was sent and then he was the one to preach the word and talk about who God is. People heard, and then they believed. It's the, the way of God. And I think it's yet another chance for us to see the heart of God here at work again. Because we believe, right, that God's invisible qualities can be seen all throughout creation so that anybody that has an excuse is without an excuse. But why is God wanting to include us in this journey Right? Why is he asking us to go and to do these things? Man, some of the most beautiful times have been when someone who's walked through an absolute mess has come to me in my time of need and said, hey, you know what? I've been there. Let me, let me point you back to Christ. 
Man, is there anything more refreshing than someone who's gone through it to walk through it with you? Is there anything more refreshing than someone who's been lost and is now found being able to talk to someone who is lost and say, I want you to see who Christ is. He chooses us to go, to preach and to tell people of the good news. This is the plan. This is his way. It's estimated today that there are 2.8 billion people, 2.8 billion people right now in the world who have never heard of Christ. 2.8 billion. I mean, in America, it's kind of like, how's that even possible, really? Like, really? Who's doing that math, right? Um, but this is, this is our reality. It's a, it's a sobering number. And friends, brothers, Sisters at Fellowship Community Church and beyond, we better have a compelling reason for not moving toward the lost. Let me say that again. We better have a really compelling reason for why we are not moving toward the lost. And some of you do that by being here. Maybe that's where God has you. Some of you are sent to distant places to go and to talk about Christ to the lost, but technology and, and opportunity and resources and even ways of getting there, uh, this is an all-time high for those things, and we should have no excuse for saying, I can't. Here's what the scriptures teach about our relationship to lost people, a few verses that uh, really kind of st- stood out to me. Mark 16, 15, that we are commanded We are commanded to go into all the world and share the gospel. That's Jesus speaking. Luke 16, 27 through 28, a fascinating passage. If you have time, hope you do, go read Luke chapter 16, verses uh, 27 and 28. It's this account of uh, Jesus speaking here to some people that were asking him questions, and he gives this account of this man who is uh, in hell, and he's crying out to Abraham, who is in heaven, and he's saying, Abraham, help me get to where you are. Take me out of this torment. And Abraham's like, "Um, there's this great chasm, and you know I can't do that. And so the man says, well, if you can't, then send my servant, who is still alive, Lazarus, would you send him to go and tell my family so that they don't have to be here suffering like I am? There's this cry that we have, Jesus is talking about here, from someone who is stuck in hell, from the good news, go and save my family. Acts 26, verse 9, Paul has this vision of uh, this man crying out for help in Macedonia. It's a dream that he has, and, and then he actually says, you know what, the Lord put that on my heart. I need to go. People are crying and needing help. 2 Corinthians five fourteen says that Christ's Love ought to compel us. It should motivate us. And to the degree that we understand God's love for us is to the degree that we then show and go and show this to others. Changed people go and and speak and overflow with the good news and others are changed. This is not for pastors. This is not for church workers. This is not for missionaries. This is not for young life leaders. This is not for people involved on short-term missions trips. This is us, we, the church. We. 
I wrote a phrase down earlier this week. I kind of just, it was like a prayer, and I typed out, and I was like, "Woo, I'm not going to say that one. But I think I want to, because it felt so uh, Jesus-centered to me. I, I just feel like I want this for our church, but I'm kind of nervous to talk about it. So here's the prayer that I just wrote down and prayed. I said, Lord, man, what a cool day it would be when our church attendance just drops. And you're all kind of like, what? Why did he say that? Right? That our church attendance would drop because so many of us have gone to tell people about Christ. Like, I just have chills all over thinking, like, I don't care how many come to our church. We're not meant to even be here hanging out together. We're meant to go, brothers and sisters. Bring the day, Lord. Bring the day. They need to hear, and, and 2.8 billion people have never heard. I think we must be serious about this, not distracted by a better house or a, a nicer garden or, or whatever needs to happen. We can't be halted by our career or our retirement plan or, or the things of today that are just kind of nagging at us. We can't be arrested by the American comfort and need for security the two greatest things in America that we all need is comfort and security. Take it away and watch us cry, right? We must go. I want to close this morning with a quote from a woman. Her name is Anne Judson. Anne and Adniram Judson were a missionary couple. Uh, in 1812, they met and were married at the age of 26. How'd you like that to be your profile picture? <laughs> Um, one of the first commissioned missionaries uh, to ever leave America. They were just the, one of the first people sent from America to go to a distant land and, and talk about Jesus. Um, they walked through sickness. Um, Anne had four miscarriages while in Burma. They actually buried uh, one of their um, kids on the, the, the way there on the boat. They had to just kind of like put him to rest there. The death, actually, of many of their children after the miscarriages, they, they witnessed that because of the lack of health care and provision. Her husband's wrongful torture, there was an invasion of Burma uh, by the British, and so everybody that was non-Burmese was looked at as a spy, and so they turned against anybody that didn't look like them and put them all in prison without question. And so he was put into prison, uh, and it said that he actually hung uh, they would kind of raise these poles that they would tie their feet to and their heads would dangle just above the floor every night and that's how they'd sleep. And 17 months later, he would come out of imprisonment, but um, Anne, after 10 long years in Burma, would die and at the age of 36, with family begging her to return home, she would pen these last words. After a little while, we are in eternity. Before we find ourselves there, let us do much for Christ. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Man, a faith like this. Pure gospel, pure mission. By way of application this morning, I want to ask you three questions and you can apply them, okay? I'm not going to tease them out for you, but here's the first question. I want you to write it down and then maybe talk about them later or think about them, pray over these questions. But here's the first 
question. You can even use your phone if you want to write them down. How are you seeking to achieve righteousness? What's your plan for achieving righteousness? It's multiple choice. You got two options. I'm trying to get it on my own or I'm trusting by faith in Christ to be the fulfillment of all the righteousness and he's giving me his record of of perfect life through the law or through faith in Christ. The second question, do you believe in Jesus? Well, that's a simple one, right? But belief, remember, again, is all of our weight leaning on him, not just a confession of our mouth, but belief in him. Number three, has God told you to stay? Has God told you to stay? There's two options for that one, too. Yes, he has. And then the the follow-up question is, well, what are you doing to support those that are going, maybe called to go? And if God hasn't told you to stay, and the answer is no, the question is, where will you go? What skills has God aligned in your life? What opportunities has he made available for you to go? Today, before you lay your head on the pillow and go to sleep, I just want to ask you, get a moment with the Lord just to wrestle with these questions. Don't wait to receive the gift of forgiveness found in Christ. Just run from this legalism, works of the law that can achieve no righteousness. And this one, with boldness required, that you as a single person, maybe as a young person, maybe you're a married couple, maybe you are uh, a bit older and feeling like this is too much, to kneel and ask God, are you asking me to stay? The question really isn't, is he asking you to go? Because it's yes, it's all throughout the scriptures. Is he asking you to stay? And then before you ask that question, commit to say yes to whatever God would answer that question. If I'm going to obey whatever you say. I'm going to believe you, I'm going to obey you, and I'm going to trust you for what you say. And if next week nobody's here, we'll have to find some new friends because you've all left uh, to worship together. But what a joy, right? That distills our mission. Man, it is about lost people. It always has been and it always will be about us coming together to go. Let's pray together this morning. Father, in the midst of a a culture, it's so easy for us to just um, have this uh, almost dizzying effect with all the stuff that's required and what we're supposed to do as Americans and as Christians and as churchgoers and servants. Lord, Paul writes here by your hand to distill the, the pure gospel out of your chosen people. To, to distill a pure mission for those that name the name of Christ. Lord, might it not be clouded with the things of our day and age winning? Might it not be clouded with the things that we want most winning? Oh Lord, make us hungry for the gospel. We worship you and make us hungry for lost people. And Lord, We thank you for asking us to go and might we go with boldness until you say, stay here. For Christ's sake, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for being here this morning. You are dismissed.